one. Good morning, everyone. I am Tim Phillips, president of Americans for Prosperity. Thank you for joining us across the country on this Facebook Live with a very special guest. We'll be talking about this $1.9 trillion Pelosi-Schumer-Biden boondoggle. And, and there really isn't another word for it. It's overspending in the name of a pandemic. And that's wrong. Uh, it hurts our country. And frankly, it hurts a lot of Americans. And that's why we're opposing it uh, so strongly here at Americans for Prosperity. Um, we're joined by our Kansas Americans for Prosperity State Director, Elizabeth Patton. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us from Topeka. Take it away. Thank you, Tim. We really appreciate everyone joining with us this morning on this uh, great, beautiful spring Kansas morning. We are really excited to have Senator uh, Dr. Roger Marshall here with us this morning. Uh, as many of you know, he's the former congressman for Kansas's big first district. Uh, he's a physician, father, grandfather, and a fifth generation uh, Kansan. And we're so glad that he, number one, represents our state, uh, but also has done such a great job even in the last few weeks as, a, as, as our newest U.S. Senator for our state, um, getting right to business amid everything we're dealing with on the federal side. So Senator Marshall, thank you so much for being with us here this morning. Um, thought we'd just start us off by asking you to talk us through some of the most recent issues you've had to deal with in Congress. Um, talking us through Friday night into the day Saturday, specifically on the COVID relief package and share with us what that means for the American people. All right, Elizabeth. So, well, thanks for having me and good morning to you and Tim and all our listeners across the state of Kansas. and. Thanks for your support of Americans for Prosperity. You know, I think first of all about this legislation and its impact on my grandchildren. My wife and I have been married uh, for 37 years. We have four children and now three wonderful grandchildren. And basically I just borrowed $6,000 from each one of my grandsons, $6,000. I thought grandparents were supposed to be giving things to our grandchildren and helping them out. And I think that's what America needs to realize is we're borrowing money for our future. Um, so adding $2 trillion to our national debt and its long-term impact. Our national debt is the biggest threat to our nas long-term national security, our economy, our school, our roads and bridges. Anyone that's ran a business or managed a family realizes if you're spending too much money at interest at the bank, eventually you get upside down. And, that, and that's the challenge here. When you think about this $2 trillion that we borrowed from our grandchildren, only 10% of it's going towards COVID relief, only 10% of it. And the rest of it, like Tim said, a boondoggle, it's earmarks. Uh, you know, I, I, I said, this is so full of pork, you can smell the bacon. And when we went there uh, Friday night, basically what we were trying to do is say, look, this is what we're for. Uh, we want to make sure that any money we're borrowing from our grandchildren is laser focused on, on what uh, we need to do for COVID relief. Um, you know, maybe I'll stop there. I'm happy that, you know, we can dive more, but I bet you guys got some feedback uh, and we can talk more about the bill. But what what else would you like to hear about the legislation? Well, I tell you, it, there was discussion early on, Senator. I, I heard the president say a couple of times that his people that, well, in order to get schools opening again, we have to have this new money. But Senator, isn't it true that almost a trillion dollars of money that's already been appropriated, that Congress appropriated last year, has yet to be utilized to do things like open schools or 
get vaccinations. Is that an accurate uh, accounting? Yeah, absolutely it is, Tim. I think it's actually closer to $1.3 trillion still on the sidelines. So we've already borrowed $4 trillion from our grandchildren uh, for COVID relief. And over a trillion of that is sitting on the sideline yet. So my belief was we should repurpose those dollars. You know, you and I, we've ran businesses. Your listeners have ran a business before. Uh, Maybe you go, maybe you're now in charge of a business that's upside down. You make a plan. And six months into that plan, you say, oh, this is really working good. We don't need to use that credit line from the bank anymore. Let's shut off the credit line. Let's, uh, let's kind of go in a different direction. And that's my point right now is, is look, this economy, uh, unemployment in Kansas is under 4%. There are still people hurting. We need to help those folks. But overall, unemployment under 4%, we might see a 9% GDP growth number for the first quarter across the nation. Many states had record amount of of tax dollars this past year. I think California exceeded year by year $19 billion of tax income. So why would we take $400 million from Kansas taxpayers and give it to California when they're doing great? Uh, The federal government does a horrible job of reappropriating our our people's money, right? So great point. We've got a trillion dollars left. Let's repurpose that before we borrow more money. Yeah. Elizabeth? Yeah, thank you, Senator. Um, Talk us through a little bit more about how that all went down uh, on Saturday morning when you guys were passing that. What was the debate like? Uh, What was your experience seeing that push through on the Senate side? Yeah, well, I I think so. First of all, the the most important issue, this was totally partisan. It was passed with only Democrats voting for it. And you all could do an education piece someday on the budget reconciliation process. But one budget, one bill per, per year, you can do a budget reconciliation and pass something with only 50 votes in the Senate. Otherwise, it typically takes 60. There's exceptions like Supreme Court justices. So this is their one chance. And they loaded a Christmas tree with uh, so many earmarks as ornaments. It was just crazy. Uh, so we proposed uh, amendment after amendment that we thought would work. We, we said, it, look, we think that $600 billion would more than cover this. It went down uh, on party lines. Um, there's money in there for Planned Parenthood. There's money in there for felons. There's money in there for illegal immigrants. And we tried to take out those pieces of it, but basically we lost every vote. Um, I want to remind America that with, with a Republican president, a Republican Senate, and a Democrat House, we passed $4 trillion with, in a bipartisan fashion. We didn't have to, we could have jammed it down the, the uh, Democrats' throats, but we wanted their input. Um, you know, I, I believe this concept that, uh, you know, iron sharpening iron, we bring your ideas, my ideas, we put them together and have a better finished product. So I think most importantly, what I would communicate to the American public is here we are two months almost into President Biden's uh, term and there's not been one bipartisan effort that he's done his executive orders, that's totally partisan, and all the legislation that they're ramming through the House and trying to shut down the Senate's throat is totally partisan. Uh, President Biden uh, did not reciprocate. He accepted none of our ideas, none, zero of our concept to make this bill more palatable in the eyes of conservative Republicans. And I'll tell you, I thought, Senator, it was a, uh, a key moment for Republicans in the Senate and the House when they voted 
in unison against this spending bill. Good for them. Good for the Republican caucus, your caucus members in the Senate uh, and over in the House. They did the right thing on this for the country under, frankly, some heavy pressure from some in the media and groups and and this administration. And I, I want to applaud the Republicans for doing what they did on this. And there were two, I think there were two Democrats who voted no in the House. And I, I respect that and good for them for standing up for their constituents and, and for the country and frankly saying no to their party on this one. Ladies and gentlemen watching, you can take action on this and we would urge you to do so. The I volunteer link in the link here on the Facebook Live, you click on that. And in about 45 seconds, you can make your voice heard to your House member and both of your senators. I know maybe you're thinking, hey, my members are against this. They don't need to hear from me. Actually, they do. It's good for them to know. And Senator, would you take a moment? I know you pay attention to your constituents. I mean, you vote your principles, of course, but it's always good to know and to hear from folks back home. Talk for a minute, if you would, about why that's a good thing for people, even if someone knows their senator or house member somewhere in the country is voting for this, it's still good for them to hear from grassroots folks, uh, grassroots folks back home, right? Right, right, Tim. So, I mean, look at it as a, as a word of encouragement. Uh, you know, sometimes your pastor needs a word of encouragement. Sometimes your boss needs a word of encouragement as well. So what will happen is the press will say, so what is, what's your constituency saying about this legislation? And if all I'm getting uh, our radical Democrats from all over the country calling my office today uh, saying I'm a horrible person, making it personal. I, I would I'd love to be able to say, look, 90% of the phone calls I'm getting from Kansas are against this legislation. That gives me ammunition to fight back on this national media narrative that's just baloney. You know, if, if you would talk to the national media, 95% of Americans uh, are in favor of borrowing money from our grandchildren. And I just don't think that's the case. So, uh, so we appreciate the word of encouragement. And I, and I would say this is obviously in Kansas, we have one congressperson who will probably vote for this. And even though you're not from her district, I still think if you get a phone call from a Kansas uh, area code, or an email from someone from Kansas that it has more weight to her. So I really would encourage all of Kansas to focus in on Sharice Davis there in that Kansas City Metro and let her know why you're against this bill. Give her some pressure as, as well. Um, I, I think it's, um, you know, so much of, of Kansas, even like the western half of the state, so much of our economy flows through Wichita and Kansas City. They're, they're going to listen to you if you're from Kansas. So please, I think you're, you're spot on, Tim. And you might just explain to people what what would that message be? You don't need to write a five page message. I think that just to help folks out, you're much better at this than than I am. That what would that condensed message look like? You know that condensed message. Tim pointed out we've got a great contact your official piece right below on this Facebook Live. But really, it's asking members of Congress to be responsible with taxpayer taxpayer dollars to be specific in how we're addressing the COVID crisis. And exactly what Senator Marshall said is that we don't need to be filling the tree with tons of waste and earmarks and irresponsible spending that will put uh, future generations on the hook for the American fiscal crisis. So um, really that's the gist of it. Use your own words, but use that contact your official piece right below on this Facebook Live link and we'll, you'll be able to send an email right away, contact your officials, uh, let them know why this is something you're concerned about. You're right, yeah. Elizabeth, from, from the heart, just say a message from the heart 
I'm concerned about borrowing $2 trillion from my grandchildren. And by the way, uh, I think our economy is improving. And I really think by, by this summer that our economy will be back to pre-COVID levels. And I think we can have herd immunity by April or May. Yeah. Uh, Senator, I, this is a big vote. We're urging folks to take action. There was also some news over the weekend that was disconcerting to a lot of folks. And that was some of the Democrats talking about ending the Senate filibuster in order to jam through some of their agenda items, which are going to be you know, very, very liberal, very, very much to the left, uh, bigger government from Washington, et cetera. Um, can you give folks a sense of why that would be a bad thing for the country to, to have uh, you know, a, an institutional device like the filibuster uh, that has served our representative democracy, our republic, pr pretty darn well for a number of years now? Right. You know what the, the filibuster does is it protects the minority. It yeah. keeps the, the, the majority from overreacting. So the House, you can get something done with 50 vote with 50 percent of the votes. And you'll see legislation. The House passed much more legislation. The way the, the, the constitutional framers meant for the B was the Senate to be kind of a break. And again, I go back to we've all said on uh, church boards and and United Way boards and Boy Scout boards. And, you know, you sit on these uh, school boards and some people kind of get out in front and you kind of need somebody sometimes to say, okay, let's slow down a little bit here. Let's slow down and maybe think this through before we go buy another piece of land or before we, you know, do a big a building project. Let's think this through a little bit. So by giving that, the filibuster kind of puts a brakes on things and, and prevents, uh, for instance, tax laws from fluctuating from year to year so much. So if you had just 50 votes were needed in the Senate, you would see the tax laws just change. Every time the Senate changed, the tax law is going to change. And you and I, you know, again, long-term planners that most of your listeners are is tell us the rules and let me sit down with my accountant and we'll kind of make some long-term plans here. So, uh, so, so it could be a, a big challenge. Like for instance, the death tax. Uh, so many Kansans in agriculture, the, the inheritance they're going to give to their children is that land. And if the Democrats had their way, they'd make you sell about a third of the land so your children could inherit the land. You'd have to pay that huge tax. So I think it's just about one example. And forgive me, one more point I would make. And this usually backfires. You may recall that the Democrats were the ones that broke the uh, rule of needing 60 votes for the Supreme Court. Harry Reid went nuclear. And when that happened, guess what? Several years later, the Republicans had a chance to put three members on the Supreme Court. So it backfired on them. They better be careful. Sometimes you you don't you don't want to necessarily get what you're wishing for. Maybe you could explain it better, Tim. It's uh it's really no, a new you, you nailed it. No, that that's exactly right. And it's worrisome. I mean, I, sometimes a political movement or a party they get so wrapped up in the moment. They forget the long term. And that's kind of what you're talking about there. And so we're we're starting to raise public awareness of why this would be just a, a terrible idea uh, for our republic, for, for our American way of life and for our system. So, uh, Elizabeth, one last question and, and then I'll we'll wrap it up from there for the Senate. Yeah, we've talked a lot about policy this morning, uh, but Senator, just wanted to see if you had anything that you wanted to share on uh, what the transition's been like from going from the House to the Senate, um, and any last thoughts you wanted, any last updates you had for our folks here at Americans for Prosperity. 
Right. Well, thanks, Elizabeth. Um, you know, it's uh, it's been slow and it's been challenging. Uh, we were big President Trump fans. My wife is just really still upset and just can't believe that President Trump's not in the White House. It's hard for us to understand how we lost lost that election. Right. Uh, so it's been very frustrating dealing with impeachment and, and uh, the, the Electoral College and, and now this partisan legislation. But I, I just want to leave folks with a message of hope. Um, I truly, truly believe that that we can have herd immunity by by April or May. I, I really think 25, 50 percent of Americans have already had this virus. It's way more than than people are guessing. Uh, for those of those that want a vaccine, I really think people by the end of April, everybody could have ha should be had the opportunity of had one shot. And even after one shot, 75, 80% of people become immune and then pick up that second shot in June. And again, this is if you want the vaccine. I know there's some people that don't want it and that's America, I respect that. But I truly think we can have herd immunity by April or May. The Democrats wanted to present this uh, huge cloud over America that America was dying. We're never gonna come out of this long jury winter. So that was part of their strategy to pass that $2 trillion that the, the economy was so horrible, we have to borrow this $2 trillion. But in reality, they know that warp speed work, that President Trump has three, uh, three vaccines teed up. We're putting over a million shots in people's arms before Joe Biden uh, even took office. Uh, that, that this whole process is rolling along, we're ramping up, and I truly think our economy can be back normal by, by this summer. All this noise out there, if, if America would focus on three things, getting shots in people's arms, getting people back to work, and kids back to school, this country is going to come roaring back. Don't let the media get you down. It's, they're, they're preaching a horrible message. America is going to come back stronger than ever. What we've got to be focused on over the next year are Kansas values. This far left agenda wants to take away the values that you and I were raised on, values like freedom of, of speech, freedom of religion. Look, we've been censored. Um, we, we, we've been preached to. We've been lectured. We, we have to stand up for, for Kansas values, for American values, values that Americans for Prosperity believes in as well. Senator Roger Marshall, well said. Thank you for the great work you're doing in the Senate. It's, uh, it's, it, we're thrilled to work with you. And for Elizabeth Patton, our state director I'm in Kansas, I'm Tim Phillips, the president of Americans for Prosperity. I'm coming to you from Lincoln, Nebraska this morning at Americans for Prosperity. We have field staff and full-time uh, uh, organizers and about three and a half million Americans from all walks of life uh, who work to knock down the barriers that hold people back from living the American dream. Uh, and it makes us an exceptional country. And thankfully and thankful to God that it still is the exceptional country. And there's no place we'd rather be. I, I don't say that as a boast, but as a thankful homage to this great country of ours. And let's keep it that way. Let's preserve it and protect it and strengthen it and help lift people up. And I think we can do that with folks like this senator. Have a good day, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you.